back again. She go back ten years ago. It'll be a decade. I'm going back ten years ago to the day. I imagine most of you don't have anything special that happened to you on September 3rd, 2007. But I do. And so if I cry tonight, you'll have to forgive me because that's just probably what's going to happen. Because it was ten years ago at almost this exact time that I had a wake-up call. It was about 3 o'clock Central Time, which if you're looking at your watch is right about now. To which I have one of the worst days of my life that extended into the next day and even into the next evening. And I had forgot all about it being 10 years until really I think it was Thursday. And I looked at the, the calendar and I said, whoa, it's about to be September 3rd. And it happens to be on the same day. It was a Sunday afternoon. And I thought about that day in particular and that next about 38 hours of my life a lot in comparison to the last 10 years. I don't think any of you knew me 10 years ago. I definitely didn't know anybody here 10 years ago. And there are probably several of us in this audience that weren't known by others 10 years ago. But 10 years ago, I'm a different person. 10 years ago, you were probably a different person. And I've gone back and I've thought about some of these things that were fundamental to me that day that I knew but didn't really even matter to me. Until that day. And I want you to to see them kind of from that perspective of these were things that were ingrained in me that I did not intend to know, intend to recognize, but that when things got bad, this is what I knew for sure. Alright? I want you to open up with me to Genesis chapter 2. I've got five things in particular as I think about it. First off, God is straightforward. We were watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I imagine most of us have seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. There are a few people that are given a golden ticket. And with the golden ticket, you have access into Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. And in Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, you can have all the chocolate you want if you don't touch anything, if you obey the rules. Well, if you've seen the movie, right? Every single person, except for Charlie, breaks the rule. The one rule, and they don't get it. And they don't... Get the lifelong thing of chocolate. And you say, Wes, what in the world are you talking about? In the Garden of Eden, it was pretty simple. You look there in Genesis chapter 2 of what he says to Adam and Eve. 
He says in verse 16, Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. And we know that they knew that law, didn't they? Because when Satan comes in verse 3, or in chapter 3, God didn't mean that you will surely die. He doesn't, he doesn't really mean that. He doesn't mean that you will be as wise as him. See, the Lord did say that. They knew the Lord had said that, and she took a bite of that fruit, and she gave to her husband, right? And her eyes were open, and it was a whole new world. And to steal from a phrase that Tom uses over and over, it is a world that you can now no longer forget. You can't unknow things that you now know. And for me, what I came away with as I'm watching that and I'm sitting there and I'm doing things that are completely wrong, I'm saying... I'm just like those other kids. I had every opportunity to have eternal life. And it was right there in my hands. And it was right there that I was experiencing and I was walking in it. But I had to dabble in something that I shouldn't be doing. And if I was to die that very day to which the fear was, I can't help but say, it was so simple. God was so plain about it. Just do what I say and you will receive all of this great stuff. And God doesn't change from that. From being simple and straightforward. That if you're going to get in a relationship with Him, it's a pretty simple and straightforward relationship. As He made with the people when they came out of Egypt at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. When he says to the people, or in verse 5, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine. Like, you will be my people if you just obey my voice. But how many of those people that said that day, All that the Lord has said we will do. How many of those people got to taste the land of rest? They didn't make it into the land of milk and honey. They didn't get to rest. They all died from their unbelief. It's like they all got into the chocolate factory and they all touched the things that were not supposed to be touched. Except for two. Joshua and Caleb. The minority... And then God was just so simple with these people. And He gave them time after time after time to see that He really did exist. And that He really was the only true God. By giving them food. By giving them water. By taking away those serpents that were there and that were killing them. All of those things were taking place so that they would believe. But yet they rather lived the way that they wanted to live, and they did not get to him. And it's kind of the same thing for us. That as they 
said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. Jesus makes a similar statement in John, the 12th chapter, that I want us to turn our attention to. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world. Right? And you've heard me say, how many times, man, that's a... So many people use that and are comforted by that. He says in verse 46, I've come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. But the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. It's like when you get to the end of Willy Wonka and everyone else realizes that they had signed the agreement that I will obey the rules in the land. When they don't, he can come back and say, look, you said you were going to do it and you didn't do it. I'm not holding anything back from you. You chose something else. It was right there in your grasp, and you said, I'd rather have that. And I was thankful that God was straightforward. That it really wasn't that complex. It really wasn't that difficult to usually know what God would have me to do, what is right or wrong. Most of us have within us as individuals... That moral compass. Now that is somewhat shaped by our society. But we all have a feeling originally of, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. And we almost have to talk ourselves into doing something. And then once you do it, you don't have to talk yourself into it anymore. You now get the pleasure. You now get the enjoyment. You get all these things. And what I walked away with is, you know what, life is really not that complicated. Life is pretty simple with God. Obey me, you get eternal life, you get eternal blessings, you get everything. Disobey me, I'll throw the book at you and I'll show you where, hey, you could have done it. God is straightforward, God is simple. The second thing that I remember very vividly is a verse... For a saying that kept coming in my head over and over, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And I knew that to come from Philippians, the second chapter. That was where I knew that came from. I didn't know it was Philippians 2, but I knew the whole verse. I could quote the whole verse. I didn't know where it was at, but it was there. That every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Christ to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians 2 and verse 9 and verse 10. But what I learned after looking all of this up, after I was coming back down and understanding a lot of different things, was that this was something that was said way back when in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. And I want you to go there with me in Isaiah 45. Those of you that were in our Wednesday night class on Wednesday know that we talked a little bit about Isaiah. And how when we look at this part of Isaiah, and Isaiah, the latter part, beginning in really in chapter 40 through 
through the end of the book, we're dealing a lot of things that take place in the Messianic age, in the days of the Christ. But we have some things that are still written, but one of the big things of the problems of the day was idolatry. That as we saw people from Judah, and as we saw people from Israel, they were bowing down in worship to every god. That would even say in chapter 1 of Isaiah, they were bowing before every green tree. You name it, they were bowing before it. In Isaiah 45, he talks about Cyrus, who would be a king who would come later. And it says in verse 40, chapter 45, verse 1, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him, and to loose the belts of kings, and to open doors before him, that the gates may not be closed. Cyrus would be the one that would free Judah from captivity. It says verse 2, it says, I will go before you, and I will level the exalted places, and I will break in the pieces of the doors of bronze, those sturdy gates, and I will cut through the bars of iron, and I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by my name. He's going to let you go, but the Lord is saying, I'm the one who's making it possible. I'm going to do the unthinkable. I'm going to cut through the safety, the prisons, all of these things. To know that I called you. But verse 4. And for the sake of my servant Jacob, for my people and Israel my chosen, I call you by your name. Remember what he said there in Exodus 19? If you obey me, I will be your God. You'll be my people. Holy, special people. Treasure above all the nations, right? He says in verse 5, at the end of verse 4, I call you by name, and I name you, though you don't know me. I am the Lord, I am Jehovah, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God, and I equip you, though you do not know me. There is no other God. How many times did he say that at Mount Sinai? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. There is none other. So here's what he says in verse 6. That the people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am Jehovah. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. I want everybody to know all day, every day who I am. So he goes now down to verse 11. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, the One who formed Him, ask me of things to come. Will you command me, my children, in the work of my hands? Like, are you going to tell me, kids? Are you going to command me? He said, I made the earth and created man with it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their hosts, and I stirred up in righteousness. And I will make all his ways level. And he shall build my cities and set my exiles free. Not for price or reward, says the Lord. You see, what is going to be known is that when Cyrus frees God's people, it was Jehovah who did it. It was the Lord who did it. And so he goes on to say in the end of verse 14, Surely God is in you. There 
is no other, no God besides Him. Truly, you are a God who hides Himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. All of them are put to shame and confounded. The makers of idols go in confusion together. All these people that have been making idols, now that they see this, they don't have anywhere to stand. But Israel is saved by the Lord. Then 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens. Then a parenthetical statement. He is God. How many times does he keep saying this? He's God. He is the one who created, who formed the earth and made it. He established it, and he did not create it empty, and he formed it to be inhabited. He said, I am the Lord, and there is no other. So he says to the people, verse 20, assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols, and they keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them bring counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Are we tired of him saying that yet? He's making it clear. There is no other God. So 22, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Everybody who is on earth, come to me, for I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. And we know that when the Lord swears by himself, he does that. Why? Because there's no one else and nothing greater to swear by. He says, I have sworn by myself, from my mouth has gone out righteousness, a word that shall not return. And here's the phrase. To me, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Because there is no other God. I came to the conclusion that day, I have to admit that he's God and I am not. Because I had lived my life in complete rebellion of that. You're telling me what to do and I'm saying, no way, Jose. And he's saying, one day you will bow. And one day you will confess that I really am who I say I am. That I am God, that I am Lord, I am Master, I am Savior, I am all these things. And you might not have wanted to say it, but you will have to say it. Because you will not be able to ignore the fact any longer. It may be too late, but you won't be able to ignore the fact anymore. And that day I said to myself, man, I better start submitting now. And I better start getting on a knee now before I'm forced. Because right now I know that there is no other God besides Him. All of these other things that I have chased after, I have pursued, including self, they are nothing. They didn't create heavens and the earth. They didn't form peoples. They didn't save people. They are nothing. They are empty. I'm going to have to do it later. I might as well do it now of my own into 
So that got me to thinking about our God. And our song, Our God is an Awesome God. I was driving back to Atlanta and I was terrified. And the only thing I kept doing for about the two-hour drive back to Atlanta is singing this song. That is one verse. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. There's the whole idea of every knee shall bow. Like He is in control. He's reigning in heaven above with wisdom. Like He knows what is best. How many times did Moses tell the people, do those things. God knows what is best. His commandments are for your good always. He rules with wisdom. He knows what is going on in the world. He knows what will happen. Who else can declare it of old? Nobody. He rules with wisdom, power. Can anyone else take a nation from another nation? Can anyone else put judgment on all these other gods? Can anyone else do this and that? And he would just point that out over and over and over again. He rules with all this power that no one else has the ability to do. But yet he is not an in-your-face, down-your-throat king. He rules with love. He gives you the opportunity to submit to him. He gives us the opportunity to listen. He gives us that chance. And what does he do with his children whom he loves? He chastens them. He says, hey, that's not right. Hey, you guys got to quit that. You can't be doing this. And so he would send prophets to them. And he would say to his people, don't do this. You keep doing this. This is what is going to happen. Because he loves them. But eventually, he's done with them, right? That's just who God is. He's awesome. He's amazing. He is full of all. When you see Him, there is nothing but all. Which is what Moses saw on that mountain in Exodus 34, isn't it? When he wanted to see the Lord and he was able to see the back of the Lord and the Lord proclaimed Himself before Him there in Exodus chapter 34, we have this huge list of qualities of who God is. And if this was any one of us, we'd be like, wow. But it is Jehovah, verse 6. Jehovah the Lord passed before him and he proclaimed, Jehovah, Jehovah, a God merciful and gracious. See, that whole mercy concept was the thing I was most excited about. That was the thing that I was holding on the most to because I still had breath in me. I thought that if I could get back to my apartment in Atlanta, Georgia, everything would be fine. And that was just my hope. That my God was so merciful and so powerful that He could even protect me on this highway trying to drive two hours back home. And thanks be to God that He did do that. He's merciful. He is gracious with someone who was so rebellious. He was slow to anger. He was abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He was always there even though I had rejected Him. And He kept steadfast love for the thousands. Forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. But He'll by no means clear the guilty. It's like He'll forgive you if you're willing to come to it on His terms. But if you don't, He'll throw the book at you. And I understood that. And He would be right and He would be just. Just like 
I meant to make this point this morning, but just like with the hurricanes, if you're told, evacuate, get out of here or you're going to die, and you say, you know what, I really don't think it's going to be that bad. I think they're going to miss this storm this time. And you hear about people who said that and they die. You feel bad, right? You feel bad that someone lost their life when they didn't have to. But at the same time, you completely understand. Like you had a choice. You were warned and you chose to do your own thing. God will do the same thing. You say, you know better, Wes. You got no way to plead ignorance on this. I can't clear you of this. You are guilty as charged. And that's who he is. And so that makes us afraid. And when we hear him as the saying goes there in Hebrews 12, when he tells Christians, you've not come to Mount Sinai. You've not come to that mountain that with fire and thunder and the rumblings where they begged him who spoke to not speak anymore. Because when you're in the presence of God, you bow down. That's just what we see. We see that with Isaiah. We see that when a human being gets in the presence of an angel, they bow down. How much more so this God. You've not come to that mountain, he says. But you've come to the city of the innumerable host. All of these different things. The city of the firstborn, the church of the firstborn. To a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so he says at the end of that chapter, verse 28, he says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship. Those of us who were in the young adult class this morning. Acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a When we come face to face one day with the God that there is no other, and I see him as a consuming fire, I would wish I had seen the mercy side of that instead. And what I realize is, Wes, you don't have to see that fire. You don't have to see him, but know if you don't. If you don't get this thing together, you will see a terrifying God, but how awesome He is for not making me go through that yet. So then the next day comes, I finally get home, make it home like maybe 8 a.m. or something like that. Get home at 8 a.m. and things are still total disarray. Things are still absolutely crazy. Things are still spinning on the walls. And it's Labor Day, and so my father is off work. He had not retired yet at the moment. So I was talking to him on the phone. And everything that he kept talking about had absolutely nothing to do with death. But in my mind, it was still all about death. We use the phrase, you're not out of the woods yet. I, I was not out of the woods in my own head yet. I still had not come back down to reality to a point where I felt comfortable that everything had passed. And I'm sitting there and I'm just listening to him and I bet we talked for two hours about football, about gardening, about mowing. We were talking about everything. And then I stopped in mid-sentence.
because I had to tell him something. Because the whole time that he's talking, I'm saying, if I can't tell my dad what I'm called up in, how is God going to be able to forgive me? And so I stopped him mid-sentence and I said, Dad, I'm caught up in it again. And he said, you're caught up in what? And I went on to tell him, etc., etc. And in my mind, I thought to myself, if I don't say something now, I'll never say anything. And there's no way that God will ever forgive me because I've held all of this. And I think that's somewhat of what James 5.16 is saying. Confess your sins one to another. Is that a part of really being sorrowful for sin and ready to have that out of my life and ready to turn that back is being able to tell someone else besides God that I am struggling with this. Is that in my mind I had to do it. And I think, man, that's when I felt terrible about what I had done. I didn't get caught. I've been caught before. I didn't get caught. This was a, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I told him, with the hope of 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is willing and faithful to forgive us our sins. Those two phrases, He is willing and faithful. He wants to do it. Or He is actually willing to do it. There are some people you ask them to forgive you and they don't want to. They're not willing. God is not that way. I trust that He wants to forgive me, that He is willing to, and that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He can be counted on that when I ask Him to forgive me and I forgive other people, He will also forgive me. I count on that. And it's also just. It's right for Him to do that. And why is it right? Because He made His Son the one that made the justified. His blood is able, as Romans 3 says, it is the one who justifies and the justifier. Without that blood of Jesus, God can't forgive my sin. He could have rolled it, waiting in anticipation of the blood of Jesus Christ. But those blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin. It is only because of the blood of Jesus that it is right and it is just in the court of law by that king to pardon the sin. And thanks be to God that he did just that. And the final thing that I remember and so vividly recall. Well, so after I tell my father this, I'm like, Dad, I need to go to the hospital, I think. He's like, don't go to the hospital. You can't drive. And my parents lived like four hours away. My father said, we're going to come to you. I'll call him to work. We'll come to you tomorrow. We'll come to you. We'll drive to you right now. So they drive. Well, they had to pack clothes. And... I couldn't stand the thought of being in my own thoughts. 
I needed to be talking to someone on the other line as kind of my lifeline as all these things are going. And I'm thinking to myself, they got a four-hour drive. they got a pack. I can't do this for the next few hours. And that means I need thee every hour. Like that was the first time I really understood true dependence upon God. He's like, if I didn't have them, I don't know that I could make it. And I said, man, why haven't I noticed this before? That if I don't have God or feel like I need God all the time, how arrogant, how proud, how all of these things I become. Because I don't even understand that I I am so self-sufficient. I am so self-oriented, self-whatever, that I don't need Him. And I'll tell you what, I need Him every hour, most gracious Lord. Like, you are my Lord, I understand, I am willing to bow my knee before you. And I understand that you have been super gracious with me as I sit back and I think about it now. But no tender voice like thine can be afford. I just need to know that everything is okay. I need to know that our relationship is okay. That when this ends, I will not be lost. I will not be separated from you, but I will be with you. And if you've ever found yourself in a moment like that, ten minutes feels like an eternity. And I have no idea how eternity will feel. But if it's anything like those 38 hours, you don't want it. And I sure don't want it. And if I don't think about this every hour, how bad I need Him. It would be like we talked about a few weeks ago. Great stuff, Wes. But I don't know. I never. I tell you what. I don't think we want that to be honest. May we do whatever we need to do to obey those very simple rules and commands that He has put in place so that we can just spend eternity with Him in joy, inexpressible, full of glory, beyond any weight of comparison, rather than the weeping, the gritting, the tease, the I knew better. I had it right there. I just let it go because of that over there or that over there. And we don't. If you're ready to submit to the Lord's night, why don't you come now as we stand and as we sing.